emotion and self-connection and connection to other people, and how that can manifest into diseases that we're trying to treat these days with pills and procedures, and it just will never work. I'm okay rocking the boat as long as I've done my best to meet my need for care of other people. If you've been authentic, then you can be in integrity with your values, and then you can hold space for their sadness and disappointment. But we want them to at least be truly willing versus you know submitting and doing it out of obligation. They want to know that they want to trust that their needs matter as much as their parents. They want to be heard and they want to have choice. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, I know things are crazy right now with the holidays, and today's episode was just so comforting, so nourishing. It was so exciting to talk to one of the figures behind the New York Times bestseller books with Forks Over Knives, and his book, Wellness to Wonderful, was so comprehensive. It dived deep into so many different aspects of self-care, which go beyond diet, and we really touched on a lot of that in today's episode. We talk about needs and feeling safe, the role of warm boundaries, because I am all about boundaries, but do you have warm boundaries? We talk about the facade of artificial harmony, the problem with narcissist labels, this really cool duck thing that Matthew does with his children, the purpose of play, why self-care is not selfish, and so much more. I really think you guys will enjoy it. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash wellness to wonderful. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this show. One will be in my Facebook group, which by the way, friends, if anybody out there works for Facebook and can help me out, Facebook deactivated my profile and it's been a little bit of a crisis. I basically in that group lost all the content I had ever posted from my personal profile. I also can't access my page because it was run through my profile. So basically I just am locked out of Facebook. I made a temporary new profile, but it's just really sad because years and years of content is just gone now. I don't know how to get it back. If anybody works for Facebook and wants to help me out, yeah, definitely reach out. Um, but anyways, so the group is still there and there will be a giveaway for this week's episode. Find the pinned post at the top of the group, comment something you learned or something that resonated with you to enter to win something that I love. And there will be a giveaway on my Instagram, find the Friday announcement post, and again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. And I am doing a reframe, a gratitude moment, because at least I didn't lose my Instagram, knock on wood. Like if I had been the only admin of that group, I think the group would have been gone, which now that I'm thinking about that in real time right now, yikes. See, gratitude moment, reframe. <laughs> We've still got the group and I've still got my Instagram and I've got you guys. Life is good. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric, or focused on a certain type of person, and I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. 
So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, They are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, It may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MelanieAvalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text AvalonX to 877-861-8318. That's AvalonX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys If you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. 
that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity. If you are using conventional skincare makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up and just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally, completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, and they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Dr. Matthew Letterman. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I'm about to have. The backstory leading up to today's conversation, it was one of those situations where I got the basically the pitch email about it and I was an immediate yes. I was so, so excited to be reached out by the team for these fabulous authors. So I am here with Dr. Matthew Letterman. He is the co-author of a new book called Wellness to Wonderful, Nine Pillars for Living Healthier, Longer, and With Greater Joy, and he co-authored it with Dr. Alona Polday. And so, like I said, I was super familiar with their work. They have co-authored so many books, including the New York Times bestseller, Forks Over Knives Plan, Forks Over Knives Family, Keep It Simple, Keep It Whole. I distinctly remember when their book, The Whole Foods Diet, came out and reading that and loved it. So you guys are probably pretty familiar because the whole Forks Over Knives thing is a, it's like a legend in the, in the health sphere. Their new book, though, goes into so many aspects of health and wellness beyond food. Reading it was so thrilling because it it goes into so many topics that I really hadn't 
like experience being covered in that way before in all of the books that I've read on this show. So I have so many questions. It is just such an honor to be here today with Dr. Letterman. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. To start things off with Wellness to Wonderful, and you talk about this in the beginning of the book, but you talk about how you know, you guys were working a lot with diet to address a lot of health conditions, and you were finding that it wasn't always the be-all, end-all, that there was you know, more beyond that to people's health and wellness. So two-part question here. What led to, I don't know if it's a divergent, but that that shift in your path with health and wellness, also just health and wellness in the first place, like why are you doing what you're doing today? Yeah. So why we're doing what we're doing today is, is simply we got into medicine to help people to heal, to have an impact, to support people, sort of putting pieces together that are going to make life better for them and sort of taking all this information that's sometimes very hard to understand and trying to distill it down into understandable, doable pieces. So that's something that really spoke to us. And since we, you know, from early on, even just with the nutrition part, where when we discovered that diet can impact health significantly, it's not just it can have a, a little effect, but it can reverse disease and trying to help people one, value it in that way. And then two, once they value it, how do they make the changes in their own life? So that was, that was, you know, early on, that's been a thing for us. And it's, it just continued to grow as we learn more and more and experience more and more and deal with patients that are still having issues that might not just be addressed with diet alone. And that's where we coined this term connection medicine, but around the impact connection or disconnection can have on your physical health. And that was something that was really important to bring into our model because it was it was it was some it added something that diet alone didn't. And that's what we spent a lot of time now doing is there's a lot of people, you know, talking about, you know, plant based diets and eating whole foods and exercising and you know, sleep is important. So we wanted to put that all together, but then there's this other piece that I think that people, for example, who are struggling with chronic pain and you know chronic inflammatory conditions, different mental health challenges, all of, all of that alone is not addressed, or that, all of that is not addressed alone with diet and even some lifestyle. You know, but it's important, and it all is connected, and that's what we tried to do. We tried to add in the pieces that we felt were still missing, and then connect them all. But at times, it can be a little can be a lot, but uh, I tell people, you, know, you don't have to do everything overnight. And the reason it's a lot, it took us took a lot to get us into this mess. So it's going to take a lot. We have to address a lot to get us out of this mess. And then, you know, and then we work together with people. So it's, it's doable. There is a lot to address. And that's what we tried to distill down in our book. To that point, I'm just going to majorly encourage listeners to get the book because there's no way we can even remotely touch on everything. Okay, so I do have a question about the connection. Before that, the nine pillars, because you just talked about how it was, you know, quite a journey to, you know, come up with this comprehensive wellness plan in a way. So coming up with those nine pillars, was it pretty intuitive what those were or was there like a running list like was there like 20 and you narrowed it down to nine like, like i'm just wondering how you actually came up with those right we we came up with those as we saw what helped people you sort of have to work backwards right we'd have people that we would address different things different issues and as life got more and more wonderful for those people 
we started to try and identify the key areas of focus. And that's where the nine pillars came. And then we wanted to make sure it was something that people could track because the nine pillars, not that you have to, you have to get every single pillar in, in perfect order for you to, you know, experience more joy. You just have to, and satisfaction with your life. You just have to one, be aware of them and two, tend to them over time. And you're never going to get to this place where you don't have to think about your nine pillars again. It's an ongoing lifelong journey. So we think of it more as like nine beautiful children. And then you have to tend to your nine children. You're never going to get to a point where you don't worry about your children. No child, one child is more important than the other. And, but it's sometimes one child needs more attention than another. And that's how we think of the nine pillars. And then once you're aware of them and you stay connected to them and you regularly tend to them, that's when life is and will continue to be wonderful. So you're, you're saying so many things that are making me think of so many questions. I'm glad you addressed the the doing all of them because I, I was wondering about doing all of them if you needed to do them in a certain order. It sounds like you know just bringing all of it in and doing all of them in your own pace and own time is the way to go. And I will say for listeners, it's not the book is very supportive and it's not overwhelming. It's wonderful. The word wonderful can be a bit esoteric, I think, as far as a barometer for happiness, which is also hard to define. So so how do we define wonderful? How did you come up with that that way of gauging things? Right. So we want to be careful not to mistake wonderful for happy, right? Because wonderful, from the way we use it, is more self, if we think of it as self-connected, a state of inner peace, satisfaction in your life where you have a sense that your needs are being met and cared for. It's, it's that state. So you can be very sad and life can still be wonderful because you're connecting to the pain of the sadness, you're mourning, you're, you're grieving, you're allowing that to, to flow through. And then you can take action to meet the, any unmet needs that the sadness is, is basically raising your awareness to. And that process makes life wonderful. It's when we resist our sadness, when we grasp onto happiness, you know, and at, you know, at the expense of, of other needs, for example, when we distract ourselves from our pain through, you know, addiction, for example, all of that is when life is not wonderful. So it's not, it's not the presence of sadness. It's for example, I'm using sadness as just one of many unpleasant feelings we feel. It's, it's not the presence of that that's the problem. When, and also when we deal with our unpleasant feelings and emotions alone, for example, life is not wonderful. But when we have togetherness and support and companionship, we can experience the flow of sadness and it can be quite cathartic and rejuvenating and, and invigorating actually as you process through it. So does that make sense? Yes, completely. It's kind of like whenever, because I often... I think I do genuinely feel a lot like life is wonderful. And when I have something, if I'm going through something, I'm pretty acutely aware of how if I mention that I'm going through something hard or I'm sad or, you know, a quote negative emotion, the response to that is often people saying that they're sorry. I'm always aware of that because how I'll often respond is that like there's no need to be sorry that I'm sad. I am not concerned about having negative emotions like they just are is the way i see them so it's nothing to lament really right exactly and and we actually will shift from the term negative emotion to unpleasant emotion 
So, so because versus negative positive, just to imply there's no such thing as a negative or positive emotion. There's some that feel pleasant, some that feel unpleasant. And they're really, when, when we talk about emotion, which is a sense in your body that you can then sort of cognitively map into feeling words if you want. And as you become more aware of the different sensations in your body, you can do that more effectively. And there's actually data that talks about how that's healing and helps certain issues, for example, around chronic pain, the ability to do that, or when people don't do that, how it can, sometimes we can mistake those emotional, those sensations in our body that are from unpleasant emotion. We can actually interpret that as pain, not done. So there's, and this is what's really interesting about the data that starts talking about the impact of emotion and self-connection and connection to other people and how that can manifest into diseases that we're trying to treat these days with pills and procedures. And it just, it just will never work. So it's very exciting as we jump into this and your openness is, is really helpful so that people can start to understand the power of, of all of these processes and that the data is just beginning to catch up similar to, you know, the impact of diet 20 years ago. Right now, it's much more mainstream. But you know, when you're early in the curve, a lot of people are going to miss out on these opportunities to make life more wonderful. So I'm excited that you're you're talking about it. No, I'm excited, and actually, that ties into a, a question I had. So just now, you're talking about you know our body reading certain sensations and feelings and how it connects to our overall health. And I often talk a lot. I've read a lot of books. I have interviewed a lot of guests and we'll talk about the, you know, the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic nervous system and this fight or flight response versus this rest and digest, you know, more safety mode. It's often presented as binary and also that stress encourages it. Like that's sort of accepted. I read some things in your book that I had never read before. And I'm really curious, because you're mentioning the data catching up to things. I'm, I'm really curious if there's data behind some of these concepts. And it was you connected those two states to aspects of our life, actually some of the pillars that you go through, and how they instigate it and, and the reasoning behind it. And I'm dying to know if this is a theory or if there's like data behind this. So the examples I have are with like physical activity, you talk about being sedentary and you talk about how the natural state of the body is actually mobilization. And so if you're sedentary, the body assumes it's in a threatened state. Then with sleep, you're saying that the body assumes that basically if you're not sleeping, then something must be happening. So it's like that that stress from it. Or like with play, same thing where if you're not able to play, the body's assuming there's something wrong. That idea that these physical things that we do, if we're not existing in that state, is the body actually assuming it's in a threatened state or is it more just like hormones and chemicals? Yeah, I think when we talk about the body assuming, the language can be a little bit confusing. I mean, the body is trying, and there's something called the polyvagal theory, which is really interesting to read about. Lots of articles on that. Body, there's a whole field actually called social genomics, which is how our nervous system and our immune system essentially interact, you know, are, are impacted by the, the environment around us, right? And there's something called the cell danger response. And you can you know, research, you know, that guy's out of uh, 
think UC San Diego. This the previous guy, social genomics guy, is out of UCLA. Polyvagal theory is uh, Stephen Porges. So there's these people that are writing and publishing data and articles on how our body responds to the environment. And instead of thinking of our genes as this rigid blueprint for the protein that it's going gonna, it's gonna to code for, think of it you know, talk about it more of like a menu that life gets to choose from. So if you are perceiving life and the environment around you is dangerous, the cells are going to respond, the cells, the DNA, what they transcribe, and eventually with the proteins that are translated. All that's going to be different based on, on your environment, particularly around whether it's saying, hey, this we're safe or there's a threat. And that, to me, is the big differentiator here. If you are, and threat is not just the lion coming at you, although that's sort of how we evolve, but it also can be, hey, are we going to have enough food to eat for dinner tonight? Are we going to have enough food for our kids tomorrow? Right? There's this predictability piece, right? Is, is life, you know, some level of certainty or do we feel really uncertain about our, our life right now? That's going to shift whether we go into more threat physiology or safety physiology. Are we, do we have meaning and purpose in our lives? One of the big impacts was, do I feel like, why am I getting up in the morning? Do I have a reason to be getting up? And am I contributing in some way that's meaningful to me? Do I feel like I have a purpose? When we don't have that, it shifts our physiology. And when I talk about physiology, I mean, you know, immune cells and, you know, your immune system, cells in your immune system and what they code for, you know, how the mitochondria within each cell start acting and what they do inside the cell. Right. So I don't have to get into this nitty gritty, but the bottom line is when we are in states where we don't have meaning and purpose, when we don't have a, a level of predictability, when we really feel like, hey, we're under threat, all of a sudden things like inflammation go up, risk of heart disease, cancer, neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's, viral infection, we are at increased risk for those things. And that, to me, is what's super fascinating. Does that make sense? Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. 
I seriously had the time of my life last year and I would love to hang out with you guys and you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. It does. I'm so fascinated by it as well. You do talk about how we are, quote, like our bodies are programmed to search for threats or look for threats. Does that start from birth or does that happen shortly thereafter? Like, cause a baby is a baby searching for threats, like straight out of the womb. So I, when we say search, I think a lot of people think of, you know, you might think of like they're running around the room looking for problems. I more the nervous system is, is constantly taking in millions of bits of information and it's assessing that information. And one of the big things it's trying to assess is how safe are we? Because we are naturally preparing for something bad to happen. That's how our bodies are designed. And then we have to turn on what Stephen Porges in the polyvagal theory talks about, the safety break. And that's something we learn how to do. Our parents help us when they co-regulate with us and how they teach us to respond to the environment, right? So if, if every time you drop your something on the floor, right? And if your parents screamed and shouted and yelled, dropping something on the floor, like spilling, right? You know, there's some parents who reacted harshly when you would spill your milk. And other parents say, oh, no big deal. We'll just clean it up. So that's an example of also learning from your environment. Is milk spilling dangerous or safe? So there's some things that we're taught like that. But also we come in trying to say, hey, as a little infant, am I cold? Am I hungry? Am I wet? You know, am I alone? Is somebody responding to me? There was an interesting video where you could watch if you did not respond to the infant and just looked at them straight without any type of emotional response, how they got really upset and anxious. But then if the mom started responding to the infant, it was no longer, you know, they would calm back down. And the, and the little baby, maybe it was an infant, but it was very, very young, and how they would try to get a response from the parent and it was and they got more and more agitated and upset as they weren't getting a response they couldn't even talk right so they were very young but they were leading the environment and they were using the parents cues of safety this co-regulation to say hey we're okay and when that wasn't coming their nervous system got more and more mobilized so to me that's the that's what i mean when we say searching. It's trying to assess in the moment, are we safe? And it's looking for cues of safety. And when we don't have those cues of safety, we're going to have a harder time sleeping. We're going to have a harder time relaxing into play. We're going to choose less healthy, more calorie dense foods. And all this is an attempt, for example, to regulate and calm the nervous system. So I'm just saying these, do you see how it's all interconnected though? Yeah. Yeah, no, completely. And when you're describing that baby experience, I was thinking that baby really needs something, which is something that you talk about in the book, this idea of needs. So is everything that we do needs needs driven? Yes. So I'm a certified trainer of nonviolent communication. I think that's such an nonviolent communication 
to me is a wonderful, wonderful tool to understand connection and to bring more connection into your lives. And one of the fundamental principles of nonviolent communication, also known as compassionate communication, is that everything we knew is in an effort or an attempt to meet needs. So every thought we have, every action we take, everything we say is an attempt, sometimes tragic, but nevertheless, it's still an attempt to meet needs. And when I say needs, I mean things like a need for rest, a need for safety, a need for autonomy, a need for trust, a need for love and care, a need for respect, right? So those are the needs. They're universal, abstract traits, let's say, or resources life needs to sustain itself. It's, it's, and in any moment, we can have a need come up or not. So in this moment, you might have a need for food, and then you feel hungry, and then you meet your need for food, and you no longer feel hungry. So that's the other piece that's really helpful, is that feelings are basically messengers to let you know when you have needs. And if they're unpleasant feelings, that means you have needs that are not being met. And if you have pleasant feelings, that means you have needs that are being met. So this is a framework to sort of simplify how we sort of you know, relate to, to our feelings and how, how we relate to or understand what drives us. Are wants also needs, just we perceive them differently? It depends. So we use words interchangeably, like I'm really needing more respect or I'm really wanting more respect. But sometimes, and maybe this is what you mean when you say wants, we mistake strategies for needs. So if I say, I want you to do what I just said to my child, that's a strategy that may or may not meet your need for respect. It may or may not need your need for help and support, right? But the, the needs are what connect us because we all have and share the same needs, but the strategies can be disconnecting. And there's a time and a place to share strategies. But I think that's what you mean when you say wants. So I would say if you're using wants as a strategy, it's not a need. But if you're using wants you know, in relation to a need, then it is. I'm thinking like, say I see a piece of cake and I'm like, I really want that cake, but I don't need that cake. But may- maybe that one is a need actually. <laughs> Well, I would say you have to dig deeper. So this is where the self, which is the first pillar, is really important. So there's two pieces to the self pillar. One is regulating your nervous system, getting out of fight or flight mode so that you can feel safe and then you can connect to what you're feeling and needing. So the two pieces are regulating the nervous system and then connecting to what you're feeling and needing. So when you want or notice a desire for that cake, there could there's going to be feelings and needs around that. So the first thing to observe Oh, I see the cake and I want to put it in my mouth. And then I say, okay, well, how are you feeling? And you might on the surface, you might be feeling, you know, a little fidgety or agitated, or you might be feeling some level of intensity or tension. Okay, well, what are the needs there? So what I would do is I would first try and regulate. And I'd say, okay, well, let's, you can have that cake if you want it, but are you willing to take a minute or two before you eat it so we can just take this opportunity to to self-connect, right? So I'm trying to disarm because right now they're like, they jump in, most people jump in, should I have it or should I not? I don't want to, I want to be good, right? They have these judgments. I want to be good. I don't want to mess up my diet, but I really want it, you know, and they go back and forth in this little internal power struggle. So what I want to do is make space so that they can self-connect and decide if eating that cake is going to meet their need, all of their needs, not some at the expense of others. 
right? So we put that and see how I'm starting to try and separate it and say, okay, do you have space? And they might say, I don't have space. And I'll say, okay, well then eat the cake, but then can we talk afterwards so we can at least do a, a, ch- a ch- self-connection after you eat the cake. If you feel that you need the cake so badly right now that you just will, it's too uncomfortable to wait a couple of minutes. And if they trust that there's no judgment there, then eat the cake and then let's self-connect afterwards. But either way, you're not connected to your needs when you say, I want the cake. And if your goal is to make life more wonderful, then it's the key is connecting to your needs, not eating the cake or avoiding the cake. That's really insignificant to making life more wonderful. Okay. Awesome. Does that make sense? Cause it's a little bit of a, there's some, I get like really granular in my head about it. And so I think, well, at this moment with this cake, it's probably lighting up some chemical pathway in my brain that quote wants or needs it. And it's hard for me to discern how that is not a need prioritized with other things my brain is doing with neurotransmitters making me seemingly want or need other things. Right, right. So it's helpful to say, hey, there's all these neurotransmitters firing off. But if you, like wanting that cake, are you feeling hungry? That's probably a need for food. Well, if you need food, do you also have a need for health and well-being? So if you know that the cake is not going to meet your needs for health, and you notice you have a need for food, well, why not eat fruit? And you say, well, I don't want fruit. Okay, well, that's enough. that means there's other needs there, right? So it's, what are the other needs? Oh, well, I, I get this sense of like relief because I've been, oh, so you get a sense, you have a need for relief, right? Because you've been restricting cake for so long that there's this, you've created this dynamic where it builds up and it's so intense and you just have to get some relief Okay, well, then we have to look at why are we building up this sort of this dynamic with cake and how can we meet those needs for delicious dessert in a way that's self-promoting and doesn't create this, this dynamic of I'm good, I'm bad, I can't have, you know, it's a good food, it's a bad food, right? So I start, do you see how I'm starting to dig in? So there's a need, possibly a need for relief there. There's a need for health and well-being there. There's possibly a need for food. My guess is there's also a need for regulation. One of the ways we can stimulate safety in our body is the nerve parts. Some of the branches of the vagus will, or some of the cranial nerves that innervate around the, the larynx and the throat and the, and the mouth, we can stimulate safety just by chewing and swallowing. Imagine, think of babies, right? They suck and they swallow, and that's a way that they help calm themselves. Well, we still have that. There's a lot of times where eating is calming. So if you tell somebody, well, don't eat when you're stressed, that's not okay because you're basically ignoring their need for regulation. What you have to do is say, okay, is there another way to regulate your nervous system that doesn't involve food? Because if there is, then we can meet your need for regulation and only eat food when we have a need for food. And then on top of that, we don't need, if you find all these other ways of regulating your nervous system, you're not going to need the sort of high power, you know, dopamine hit that you get from some of these highly processed foods because you've built up this arsenal and you have this high level of resourcing in your body at baseline, right? So do you see how we start to dig in and then the cake loses a lot of its power? And then on top of that, we teach you how to make healthier versions of that cake. And then do you see how we keep beefing up all of the different things we can do? 
that this process, ultra processed cake is is a last resort that some people you know need once in a once a year or never again. That makes sense. The analogy I'm thinking of in my head, it kind of sounds like. Well, first of all, it feels like now the whole, like everything in life is just this mosaic of different needs and there's all these different needs and different ways of meeting them and lots of potential there. But the analogy I was thinking though, was when we, when I was little, we used to go panning for jewels and gold in Dahlonega in Georgia. So the goal was to find gold. However, the jewels were more exciting looking, even though they were kind of worthless monetarily. And then there was a lot of fool's gold, which looked great, but didn't actually, was not actually gold. When you actually would find gold, which I don't know if we ever did, apparently it didn't really even look like what you thought it would look like. So this is like a long way of me saying, it kind of feels like how you, like as a child, expect that that fool's gold or that jewels, like you think that's what you want and that that's what you need. But if the end goal is to like be sustained from that monetarily speaking, you would walk away without that. So I feel like I'm being all over the place right now. Basically, we might think that some things are meeting our needs and they seem perfect in the moment, but really they're not the sustainable thing. And there's probably a better version. Right. I like the way you, you look at so maybe what we think it's doing for us and what it's actually doing for us are different. And if you really dive into this needs-based consciousness, it can help you make so much more sense of your actions. And also it helps you experience a lot more self-compassion and compassion for other people. Because no matter what you that person's doing, they're trying to meet needs. So when you see someone that's let's say, you know, I mean, just pick, right, something that you don't like, and they're doing it, if you can connect to their needs, they're trying to meet, or you think they're trying to meet, rather than label them or judge them, all of a sudden, your physiology shifts, right? Because if you're like, oh, they're just trying to meet their need, you know, to get, you know, to get there in a rush, and they're really anxious and worried, and they're trying to get some relief, and they're trying to get to where they need to get to next, and they're sort of not really connected to the impact on other people, or they didn't learn to care about the impact on other people. So it's really a lack of education or practice. Okay, so I understand it. I don't like what they did, but I understand I understand why they are the way they are. Versus that person is such a jerk and I hate that person. I can't believe they're so inconsiderate. You know, you start throwing out the labels and the name. Separate from the fact that that doesn't you know, maybe it doesn't meet your need for kindness and care to say that about people. It also shifts your physiology because you used to go, now you're angry. And when you're angry and judging this other person with hatred, your physiology shifts. So forget about what's nice or not for the other person. Do you want to be living in this, when, which is basically a pro-inflammatory state? So when you get super angry and hateful and judgmental, you are increasing inflammation in your body you know, similar and hitting similar pathways as if you ate, you know, really unhealthy food. So now it's like, great. It doesn't mean you suppress those feelings and pretend everything's great. But by using NBC, nonviolent communication, you can translate your anger. You can say, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now. So angry. I'm having all these judgments in my head. And then you can say, okay. And, and what I think is underneath that anger is I'm really wanting more respect and consideration. I just want people to be nice and care about the impact they have on other people. And I'm so longing for that. But you see how just by starting to translate, I go from angry and resentful and judgmental 
which is a super high pro-inflammatory state, to a, a self-connected, you know, more peaceful way of expressing my needs. And that hate and that anger is a, just a tragic way of expressing your needs. Okay, so major question that that taps into that I think about all the time, evolutionarily, is it an innate sense to actually be kind and caring? Or is it also actually just an evolutionary drive? We, we all have a need for kindness, care, compassion, and love. That is our natural state. Now, many people are educated in a way that disconnects them from some of their needs, or people have experienced developmental trauma and they sort of block off their connection to some of these needs. And some people have been educated to be insensitive to other people's needs or to meet their needs regardless of the impact on other people. All of that is an education. When I say education, it's not necessarily you know didactics in, in school, although we do learn a lot of this in school, but how our parents interacted with us, how our teachers interacted with us, how our the you know our supervisors interacted with us, what we watch on TV, all of that I, I put that under education. And if we are taught that there's such a thing as you know this is good, that's bad, this is right, that's wrong. That is sort of playing the game of you're living in the world of who's right and who's wrong, right? Versus the game of how can we make life more wonderful? And in nonviolent communication, the focus is living in this world of how can we like make life more wonderful? So when somebody is disconnected from their care for other people, in fact, one of the key parts of repairing connection is to help them reconnect to their care for the other people. So I don't think it's helpful to label anybody as narcissistic or sociopathic or whatever other term labels them if my goal is connection. So, right, it, it's not even a matter of whether that's right or wrong. If my goal is to connect, if my goal is to be feel inner peace as much as possible, if my goal is to get needs met as effectively as I can, then it's going to be this framework that I'm sharing with you. So I think that everybody has the capacity. Some people have been educated in a way that brings them far away from that natural state. And you have to have a lot of support and patience and willingness and capacity to try and go back there. That's the challenge. Hi, friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna 
We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Even when I was saying the words narcissist and psychopath, I was like, we probably should have a discussion about the uh, role of labels here. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, so here's something that I absolutely loved, loved, loved from your book, because I am all about the value of implementing boundaries in your life and also self-care. And, you know, the question of is self-care selfish? But something that you talk about is warm boundaries. And you mentioned how people tend to have a negative association with the word boundaries because often when they consciously seemingly come across people's quote boundaries, it's usually when people are like tired and worn out. So it's like an quote unpleasant <laughs> situation. So people associate boundaries with not good things. You have a reframe about the, the importance of warm boundaries. So I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit about that concept. Yes. Yeah, so warm boundaries is is waiting is not waiting until you're so stretched to where you snap back, and it, that snapping can hurt and be painful. Now, sometimes you're doing the best you can, and it's very important to to have your boundaries. And but but the goal is to get towards warm boundaries, so that you can be, and that is only possible if you're really connected to what you're feeling and needing in the moment. So that because so many people do things at obligation or to be nice, because, again, we are educated to be nice people that listen to authority versus being people that connect to their inner values and needs and trusting that when they're connected to their inner values and needs, they will care about kindness and care and compassion. So that's sort of the assumption I have is that if instead of telling you what's right or wrong, and this gets us into the parenting piece. I say, hey, can you connect to what resonates with your values? And that's my goal with children is to hopefully raise them to be really, really tightly connected to their values and not focused on what someone else tells them is the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, the good thing, the bad thing. So similarly with boundaries, if we're doing things out of obligation, which most people do, you're going to already be building up resentment and losing your goodwill. So you need to learn a language, which is where nonviolent communication comes in, so that you can start sharing with people what really works for you. And when something doesn't really meet your needs, how can you share that in a way that's still caring and connected? That's how warm boundaries are implemented. So we could do an example here if you wanted. But to me, it's, you know, can you think of something that you do that you sort of do out of obligation? Can you think of something, Melanie? Or to be or to be nice? Yeah. It's just funny because I was thinking about this yesterday, how I'm so grateful that like with my job and everything, the majority of what I do daily, I really want to do. Okay, wait. Something that I do to be nice. Probably staying longer than I want to be at a gathering for my presence to be there. Right. So there we go. So so you could have, that's the longer you stay at that event when your body is saying, hey, you know, I'm feeling really tired. It's trying to signal to you, Melanie, hey, we need some rest. Or, hey, we just need a little time for self-care. You know, and I'm really not excited to connect with more people right now. I'm sort of feeling worn out a little, right? The minute you become connected to that sense, any longer in that place, is now suppressing your needs because you want to maintain harmony 
with the people around you. But I call that at that point, that's artificial harmony because you're suppressing your needs. It's not, it's not authentic. But ha- the question is, if you are taught, no, no, you got to stay until it's over, right? You got to stay. Don't be rude. You got to be a good guest, right? Now you're, you're wrestling with that education that you got, right? Either implicitly or explicitly, right? Like, but it, there's some level of that going on. So how do you now, once you become aware of your needs, how do you share that and still care for the people around you? There is a way to do that. Right. Because up until now, or for many people, up until we talk, they think either they suppress their needs and keep harmony in the group or they leave and the group is feeling resentful, but they met their needs. And we like to talk about the third option because I don't like either of those first two options. Awesome. Okay, I love that. That's where NBC comes in to give you the language to not only connect with yourself, but how to care for the other person and how to meet your needs in a way that's also caring for theirs. And I, again, we could role play and I give you examples, but that's the general idea. I guess where this really became clear to me was as I progressed with these shows and, you know, I'm constantly getting people pitching me to come on the show and wanting to be nice and like not wanting to say no (laughs) and things like that. And realizing that, I, I mean, I have to like say no in order to in order to honor everybody's time, in order to have the most beneficial experience for me and other people. I'm wondering right now if like my go-to rejection email is in line with the nonviolent communication. <laughs> like if it would like if it would be written that way. I want to like check it out. Well, even calling it like your even your your go-to rejection email, right? That the energy around that is like, hey, I'm rejecting them. Uh go-to almost is gonna imply like right, I just sort of just sort of do it versus like, to me, it doesn't, it's not so much the words, it's the intention and the connection. So it can be a single sentence or two. But if the lang- if you're like, hey, I only have this much space, and I'm picking people that either I really resonate with, or stories that I'm really intrigued by, or I'm trying to assess what my audience would enjoy, and I only have this many sp- this many spots, so what's preventing me from saying yes to this other person is that you don't, you know, what you've pitched so far doesn't fit into that. And I imagine maybe that feels disappointing and I, I care about that. And at the same time, I'm holding this and I'm just curious how that is to hear. But you see how it's sort of, it's not about being nice. It's just about being authentic and caring. And kind. Maybe there's a difference between nice and kind. Right. Because nice is... So like, oh, I, I, you know, I just want to be, but nice often includes not being authentic. So that's when I differentiate it. I mean, hey, you know, nice is like that. I want to get harmony no matter what happens versus I don't want to, you know, I don't want to rock the boat versus I'm okay rocking the boat as long as I've been authentic and I've done my best to meet my need for care of other people. So if you feel like you're in integrity with how you've cared for the people you're telling them, you don't have capacity to have them on your show and you've been authentic, then you can be in integrity with your values and then you can hold space for their sadness and disappointment. I'm glad you mentioned the parenting. I've been dying to talk to you about this. And I've actually mentioned this multiple times in other shows because I just found it so fascinating. Can you tell, can you tell listeners about the, um, the ducks? meter with your kids and also this concept of when you need kids to do something like clean the sink or 
do chores? How do you handle that? This is like mind blowing to me. I don't have kids. I don't, I'm like, how does that pan out? Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's around our, our method of parenting we call collaborative, non-permissive parenting, right? And the, the idea is the duck meter is something that another certified trainer came up with where you don't want the question you ask yourself before, before you tell a child what to do is not only what do I want them to do, but what do I want their reason to be behind what they're doing? And I care about both of those answers, right? And a lot of parenting just focuses on the first question. What do I want them to do? How do I, you know, how do I get them to do what I want? So our thought is, hey, how can we care about everybody's needs in the house, which is our family community? And we don't want people doing things that are obligation. Because if they do, they're in that, they're either being forced to submit or rebel. When they're younger, they're going to submit. And as they grow in their awareness of their power, they will eventually rebel. I don't think either of those are healthy places to live. So the duck meter is basically saying, hey, if it's less than seven out of 10 ducks, and we think about the duck meter as far as the energy with which you would feed a hungry duck, right? That's the energy we want people to do things. And if it's less than seven out of 10 ducks, then you're probably doing an obligation. Right? If it's seven or eight, you're you're willing. Nine or ten, maybe you're really excited about it. But we want them to at least be truly willing versus you know submitting and doing it out of obligation, and that's what the duck meter allows us. So before we do something, or if I see them roll their eyes, or you know, because the kids are, remember everything they do is to meet needs. So when they roll their eyes, which a lot of parents have seen, I'm like, oh, I observed eye rolling. And I'm guessing that there's you're telling yourself you have to do something that you're not excited to do. So I jump on the eye rolling, not to tell them it's disrespectful, to say, hey, I think you're communicating to me that you're not sure how to share your needs in a way that's going to keep us connected. So you're sort of letting me know that you don't really want to do this, but you're doing it anyway. Right. So I jump on that because I care about the connection. And then I say, okay, how many ducks is it to do what I just asked? And, if they, and I tell them, if you say it's less than seven, I don't want you to do it because I'm going to pay for that later in that whole, you know, I told you about the rebellion paradigm. So I may not pay for it tomorrow, but at some point in our lives, this is going to add up. So then they'll say, dad, it's only five ducks. And I'll say, well, don't touch anything. Don't move because we don't want you to do it unless it's at least seven. And I'll say, okay, well, what's preventing it from being seven? Would you be willing to share that? And they might say, dad, well, I'm really enjoying this game that I'm playing. And to be honest, I thought I had to do it and I don't like being bossed around. So if I don't have to, if I have choice, that's really helpful too. So they just share two needs. They want to have choice and they want to finish playing. And I'll say, okay, well, do you, if you had choice and you had your time to play, would you be interested in supporting me with what I asked you to do? Yeah, dad, I'd be happy to. And just the idea of dialoguing like this is building trust with them and it's building autonomy for them. And then I'll say, okay, if I really need this done quickly, sometimes I have so much trust with them. I can say, normally I'd be willing to wait, but this is what's causing me to feel urgency. Would you be willing to do it now just to help me out? Or if not, I'll do it myself. They might find room to stretch once their needs for autonomy and being heard and trust are met. Or they might say, no, dad, I really want to play. And I'll say, I'm glad you spoke up, right? I'm going to get some help somewhere else. Or I'll say, you know what? I can wait 30 minutes. Is that enough time to finish playing your game? And they'll say, yeah, Dad, I, 30 minutes would be great. Then I'm happy to help. Okay, should we set an alarm? Because then the other thing is they sometimes have a hard time remembering. So I help them meet their need 
to be reliable and to, you know, to, to actually reliability is another need, right? That dependability. So I'll say, can I set an alarm in 30? When that goes off, you know, can you jump up and do what I asked? And they'll say, no problem, dad. And more often than not, it works out. It takes a little time up front. And as we build trust and this language with them, they are able to do it and it takes less and less time. But do you see what I'm getting at when I have that type of dialogue with them? I don't know how that, how does that sound? Did you do this since they were like born essentially? No, no, I wish, I wish, but I've been doing it for quite some time now. But to be honest, once they, the biggest thing up front is to build trust. And then there's a few needs that are commonly sort of miss or, or not nurtured as much as they would like. And that's, they want to know, they want to trust that their needs matter as much as their parents. They want to be heard and they want to have choice. So the three needs to hear them, to make sure they have choice and for them to trust that their needs matter are the ones that I tell new parents that I'm working with to sort of fuel, you know, really, really do your best to find as many moments where you can nurture that. And then, yes, I've been doing this with, we have children that are now almost 10 and almost 12. And I would say mm, five years, you're doing a good five, almost six years of really, really jumping in on it. So it's not, you know, you can start any time and very quickly they'll, kids absorb this stuff much quicker than adults do. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight, it's what they eat when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. Maybe one last question to end on. There's so many other things. So again, listeners, you've got to get Wellness to Wonderful. There is so much in there that we haven't even remotely tapped on. Okay, a specific question that maybe it can tie into a broader question to wrap this all up. One of the pillars is nature and the role of bringing the outdoors indoors and our lack of connection to nature. So (laughs) I'm haunted by this because I adore 
like looking at nature, but I actually don't like being outside typically. Like I'm not very resilient in the elements. I'm very allergic to grass. I don't like the heat. So like, I like being indoors is my point, but I bring it the outdoors indoors. Like I have lots of plants and cucumbers and things like that. So when we come up against a seeming resistance in any of these pillars, like not wanting to do it for whatever reason or feeling intuitively like it doesn't resonate. Like I literally just feel allergic to grass. How should we handle that? What do triggers and resistances show us on this journey? Yeah, I go back to the needs again. So anytime you don't want to do something, there's a need that's preventing you from doing it. So when you say no to something, there's a need preventing the yes. So like you just named them, right? So when you don't want to be outside in grass, you feel really uncomfortable and sick from the uh, immune response to the grass. So it makes sense that you don't want to do that. You're trying to you stay inside to help protect yourself from that experience. So it actually makes a lot of sense. So to force yourself to be in grass because somebody told you in a book that it's important to be in nature and that's what you defined as being in nature. That's that's what I would then jump on. I would say, okay, well, you're defining being in nature as you have to be in grass, and maybe we're not saying you're actually doing that, but you know. So I would say, well, nature and meeting your need to be in nature is there's so many ways to meet that need. So can you do that in a way that is that supports and complements your immune system response, not triggers it? So like you did, you're getting plants in the house, and you can be you can have. You know, people could paint. In fact, data was showing the impact of just pictures of nature in hospitals and the impact on healing. So, you know, can, you know, water and and all different, it doesn't have to be grass, right? I mean, you ever been to Sedona, right? Which is in the middle of the desert, but it's this beautiful experience of being in nature and the awe, which connects to the spirituality as well. And they're right next to each other on the, the pillars as far as, something greater than yourself, something bigger than you. There's other life on this planet that you can connect to around you, right? So to me, it's how can you bring in elements of the world around us into your day versus just being exposed to technology and, you know, the walls and, you know, and and the floors and how can you bring elements of nature and the natural world into your daily experience? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Letterman. This has been absolutely amazing. Again, I cannot recommend enough that listeners get your book. And you guys have written so many books. Are you writing another book right now? We're we're taking a break, but I'd love to write one for businesses on the topic of artificial harmony and one specifically on, yeah, so I think that would be cool. And then one on, on parenting. And we have some exciting stuff, actually, that we're going to be launching in a a month or two around parenting that would be fun to I think you would find that interesting so anyway there's there's lots of stuff that we want to write some children's books but uh, we're just taking a little break right now we didn't talk about it a ton in this episode but I loved the chapter on the work and the artificial harmony and do you think there's one type of career I was wondering if like entrepreneurs have less of that issue because they're presumably doing what they maybe want to be doing I was really curious if there's like in the workplace, if they've done studies on different careers and people's levels of satisfaction. Well, I think it depends how people show up. And if you can connect to how you're contributing to society, to the community, to other people, the job is just the strategy of doing that. 
So I've seen people, I've, I've connected to people that, you know, work in housekeeping at the hospital and they are some of the happiest people, how, you know, they're going through and greeting. You know, I was walking the elevator, hello and smiling and connecting and talking to different people. And so they're, they're connected to their, how they're contributing. And that's the key. And then I have people, there's entrepreneurs, for example, or people that have a lot of choice and they're stressed and unhappy and disconnected and angry. True. True, true. Again, it's connecting to the disconnecting to the needs and making sure you're meeting your needs with the strategies that you're choosing and you're always connected to your choice. And when you're in that state, really you know, life really becomes more wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is super, super quick. I promise the last question that I ask every guest on the show, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? I am grateful for the people around me to support and encourage and show up with so much compassion and love, even in my worst moments. And my willingness to always try and grow and do the best I can in the moment, coupled with that love, just makes life really wonderful for me. So I'm super grateful for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I am so, so grateful for the work that you're doing. This was absolutely amazing. I can't wait for listeners to read the book and your future books. And hopefully we can talk again in the future. I'd love to have you back for your future books if you'd like. Thank you so much, Molly. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got it.